You are listening to a Comic Spouse review special. This week, we are here to hit you with two Count them major two. reviews. Uh, we're talking about Justice League 59, which is, of course, the debut of Brian Michael Bendis on the title. And Radiant Black number two. Yeah, cool. Uh, so we talked about Radiant Black number one a month ago. We talked about you know how we needed to see if it was gonna you know take the leap and become something great or still be kind of standard. So you can expect us to talk about that. And then with Justice League, you know, is it Shazam? Is it Shazadam? Is it Adam? Is it Black Adam? What is it? So we've got a lot of things to talk about on those books today. Do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the web. If you're new to us, we talk about all things comics, comic book characters, wherever it is that you enjoy them, whether it be the movies, the TV shows, the comics themselves, we're all over it. So you can find us on social media at The Comics Pals. Give us a follow wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, wherever you choose to uh, engage with us. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us on YouTube at The Comics Pals, youtube.com slash The Comics Pals. Of course, if you are there, you can hit the subscribe button to be made aware of when we drop new content and stick with us uh you can like this video share it with your friends drop a comment all those things are absolutely free to do and help us out a lot more than they cost you so without further ado let's talk about justice league number 59 so this is bendis right joined by david marquez on art who is an absolutely phenomenal artist um and then we've also got tamra bonvillain on colors Hell and yeah. Josh also Reed great. on the letters. Yeah, this is a this is a great creative team for the most part. Almost. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, this issue also features a backup story. Uh, that's the Justice League Dark backup by Ram V with art by Zermanico and colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. and letters by Rob Lay. So, uh Great creative teams on both stories. Let's start with the the primary Justice League story that really follows uh, Black Adam, is what we're calling him, uh, as he encounters a new villain. And, uh, you know, there's some shenanigans afoot. So it's Bendis. We're hit or miss on Bendis on this podcast. Mostly miss since him joining DC. But what do you guys think about uh, his turn on Justice League? Dude, I hated this. Okay. Um, <laughs> I... So I, I was sitting uh, reading this at my, my kitchen table uh, with my fiance while we had breakfast, and I didn't even make it through uh, the first page before I was just complaining um, because I just I don't like the way that Bendis writes DC. Um, I, I think like Bendisisms and all the you know things that you could ding him for at this point in his career like, across the board are also present here and also <laughs> took me out of the issue. Um, but the big thing for me is I just don't like the way he writes DC characters, his, like, the way he talks about the DC universe. It just doesn't jive for me. Like, the the first page, right, where we have uh, Green Arrow and, and Black Canary having this conversation, and he says this thing about Superman, right? And he goes... I think that's why I like Clark revealing himself as Superman. People like him more now. And then she goes, they always liked him. And he goes, but now they've, people feel more relaxed around him now. They relate to him. They feel closer. People feel like they understand him more. 
in what fucking universe are those <laughs> the problems associated with Superman? That people don't like him enough, that they don't feel comfortable around him. I would say that those are probably the defining fucking characteristics of the character. And I say that as a casual Superman fan. Um, so to me, it's just like, I get it, right? Every writer has their own interpretation. Everybody gets their at bat and they get to tell the story they want to tell. And that's fine, right? If this is his interpretation and it doesn't jive for me, whatever. But like, it just feels like tone deaf. And I feel like that same attitude about the characters and the way that he talks about them, the way that he contextualizes them for us, the reader, it, it carries throughout. Like when Superman's robot introduces itself and it's like, I'm the robot that runs the Fortress of Solitude. It's like, yeah, Batman knows that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, trust yep. that I will fucking get it and follow along with you or don't. Um, but writing this like it's like the first Justice League story that's ever been told while you're also being like, people sure were uncomfortable around that alien Superman, huh? It's like, miss me with that shit, Bendis. I'm out. Like, this sucked. A line of dialogue like that would have made a lot more sense in, say, the film version of, yeah. you know, Justice League, because he is a newer character and there was all that stuff that happened in BBS. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have to realize this character has been around within the comics, like in universe for quite a while. And he says that, right? He says that they've been the Justice League for a while. Like they're all tight. They have a, a unshakable trust within one another and everything. Yes, right. So Superman's been the guy for years at this point. I, I guess I felt a little bit differently at that first part. For me, it was the I just didn't like that it was so broken up by boxes. I would have much preferred like maybe <laughs> five captions versus the <laughs> like fifteen we get here. But I I thought that it worked, and I am a more casual Superman fan. So the the thing about him always being uh, Superman as a Clark Kent, so like Clark Kent is Superman, right? Like that's now known was an interesting thing for me. And I liked how the the perspective dialogue led into then Black Adam and like a more, uh, like a quieter, more somber moment, especially the way it gets accentuated in the art in the second page. Um, it, it, it worked for me. I think there was definitely like stuff from just the like a technical perspective on those captions that probably could have been condensed. But otherwise, I thought that the the way that they introduced it for someone who's not as big into that character and the Justice League as a whole, uh, it made sense to me. I I sort of wonder if and, and let me know what you guys think of this because I, I just had the thought looking at the front page. Uh, the first page, which is all of the Justice League icons, right? So when Brad Meltzer wrote uh, Identity Crisis, in Sue Dibney's funeral, there's a panel where the focus of what's happening is on uh, the icons of Superman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash, and in the back matter of at least the edition I have, Brad Meltzer speaks on on the fact that like, you know, these these people are are perceived as myths and and gods, and and the iconography of that goes along the same way as like, you know, Spider Man, like you know, to a degree, like you can put yourself behind the icon, mm -hmm. and so 
for me, like what, what I'm getting at through what Pete was saying and looking at this is like, it almost feels like Bendis is coming in equal to the characters. Whereas like, yeah, these characters are gods and I'm going to write these great big myths, but it almost feels like he hasn't earned that. If that makes any sense. Like, there's nothing there's nothing here that's like, yeah, Bendis has really built these characters up to this mythic quality. So he can it makes sense that he would say this. If you're whereas gonna, sorry, go ahead. If you're gonna write characters like these and try to do the whole mythic thing, that's kind of like what Kingdom Come is for. It's like more yeah. pithy or whatever. So he comes in on the first page that's the whole oh these are modern mythology or whatever but then you get the type of dialogue we get where like when we're introduced to the um the uh, demon guy or whatever why does he talk like that yeah he's he's his very first thing he says is as he makes his entrance did that look weird because it this man did it feel weird and it it feels like it's undercutting what it was trying to go for all of his dialogue is like that too like it's like he sounds like like a bro you know and it's like like black (laughs) adam sounds more like a creature from another dimension than he does in their dialogue it immediately feels like you know, a goofy Saturday morning cartoon. The so, big bad of the week. But like, what, it, go ahead. What, what you guys are, are complaining about is what my primary fear was yeah. coming into Bendis on DC characters in general. Um, it speaks to kind of what Pete was referring to earlier, which is that I think Bendis um, understands Marvel characters more. And I mm-hmm. think that his like quirky offbeat style of dialogue works better with characters who are more down to earth yes than mm-hmm. the dc characters are that's the major difference between the worlds and i think bendis hasn't shifted his writing style to accommodate what the dc universe is like he's accommodating the characters to what he writes like and i don't know if that's mm-hmm. the greatest approach um and it, it, i think for me that's what i took away most from this issue I think I think at least when it came to like the interactions with the villains, it, it I felt that way because when when Black Adam comes down and he's talking to the kid, it very much feels like you know a god has been stepping down onto the earth and is interacting with this child. Mm-hmm. But then to Pete's point, it undercuts the that that tone immediately with this broy like demon guy, and then you know the Justice League sort of arrive and they they just kind of come in kick ass. But when they leave, they just sort of leave to do their own shit, and you're kind of stuck following their story. They, they don't. They don't leave the. Uh, they don't take off from the ground again. You know, it just it just trans uh, it just transitions into okay. Now what are the gods doing? But we haven't elevated away back from the ground because then you get that quirky offbeat conversation that's still happening as if they were still on the ground. And and then I think you, you see that kind of, I don't know, I guess like lack of familiarity or like feeling like he like is writing these characters as if he's the first person to do so um, or as if it's like a reboot. Uh, you get to the Hall of Justice and they have a conversation that I just don't believe at all, right? Like the first panel when they get to the Hall of Justice, right? Batman like contextualizes everything and he's like, 
well, we, we know from recent events that Nth Metal reacts to magic materials. Maybe that invader was using a mystical power source. And then, I, I guess this is Green Arrow who asks? Magic? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, magic being... And then uh, Black Canary goes, you're asking for a definition of magic? And he goes, uh, yes. Like, this is the Justice League. They've been the Justice League for years. Like, Batman just said about how we know from recent events that we all recently experienced that this is a thing that magic does. And he's like, what's magic? Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, that's not believable. And I don't know these characters that well. You know, but I know them well enough to know that this isn't what they sound like. This isn't the conversation that the Justice League would be having. Like, I don't oh, know. Wait a second. No, that character that says, that asks for the definition of magic, that's Aquaman, which is even worse. <laughs> which makes less sense. Aquaman is a character that deals with magic. Is that Aqu yeah. It's Aquaman and Hawkman. Or Hawkgirl. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, so, yeah. Which is it's just, it's silly. It's silly. And and for me, this wasn't the this wasn't the start of a, a great run as it relates to delivering on a first issue that sets the tone. This felt like the first issue of anything. Like, all right, there's some new villain, and the league's talking about it, and mm. you know, blah blah blah. What is what is the hook? Like, I compare this to how he kicked off with Superman. And say what you will, for me personally, I thought his run started hot. I thought it started fun, and I thought it, it it had intrigue. I don't care about this villain because I've seen this issue many, many, many times in his in his Superman run. <laughs> yeah, but well, not even just his Superman run, right? In his mm -hmm. Avengers, in his whatever, like you do. This is what it is. We get it. What's different about this? Why should I care? And, and I, and I this, feel like it's the same kind of villain. Right, yeah. like I don't even yeah. I don't remember that dude's name, but the villain that he introduced, R Ragu. Yeah, Ragu, whatever the fuck. Ragu. Yeah, I remember we called him Ragu. <laughs> uh, like that dude was like the most generic ass like Warcraft villain mixed with Doomsday, mixed with the drawing a thirteen year old who's really into heavy metal does in like nineteen eighty seven, and it's like generic, boring, bland bullshit. And now it's that same kind of character, and he looks like he's kind of that same thing, but mixed with a canary from Dragon Age, and he talks like a bro, and he's quippy. Great. Fuck this, dude. Like, this is nothing. This is nothing. <laughs> well, let, uh, let's talk about a part that is certainly worthy of praise, and I, and for me at least, and that's the art. The art is um, so yeah. good, and that makes me more angry, is Everybody I would love to so see this hot. exact art team with a writer that I want to read. I love the way that that um, – I, I forget their name. Sorry. Um, David Marquez. David Marquez. Yeah, like I love his Superman. I love his Superman. He's so hot. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody uh, And even like his, his, so hot. Like the – like his Black Adam like mm. – Hot. Look at those cheekbones. And, and the eyebrows him. like are so fucking <laughs> intense. Like line. That was my biggest complaint from an art artistic perspective was the way that Black Adam looks. He's – way too soft now mm. black adam is, oh, no. is i like is, it i like it. i mean i'm sure you're turned on and i get that but <laughs> from from just from the perspective of like he looks like superman like look at this page i'm holding up a page right now That's hopefully so you guys can see it with yeah, superman yeah, yeah. yeah superman yeah. and black adam look the same yeah i thought chemistry. that too he's a good guy now though they got to make him softer and hotter 
Mm. <laughs> he looks like he's, he's got the features of like Dracula too. He does. <laughs> I'll tell you who he don't look like. He don't look like the Rock. That's true. <laughs> Where's that synergy? Are they gonna make Rock grow his hair out? You know, like are they gonna put a wing on him? Uh, yeah, I'm sure hopefully. he can do just whatever he wants. Yeah, no, he's not. Have a wig, but they should shave my man's head. Let's see something different. Let's, he wouldn't know. look like Superman anymore. No. Um. Yeah, the art's great. I thought that the action was great. David Marquez was the artist on uh, Civil War Two, and that mm-hmm. was also the best part of that book was the art and and the way that uh, that that he did things over there. I, I just think this is a brilliant looking book. Uh, Tamra did such a great job. Amazing she is colors. she is an awesome pair for Marquez because she really brings his art to life. If you look at the uh, costume of, of, of Black Adam, the way that the gold and black look, it just feels <laughs> tremendous. Like that. That's mm. when I think about those colors popping. I think about something like this. Like it's just so. It, it feels true. These colors. when when the Justice League first pop up and you see. Superman, like that very soft blue against the like the nice, yeah, really crimson red, really good stuff. I love yeah. the choice. Um, and if it was Bendis who made this choice, shout out, I guess, uh, to go. have this entire fight take place at sundown mm-hmm. because every time we talk about color, I'm always yeah. like, you know, I love pinks, I love blues, I love the like the you know, that golden hour like softness in the lighting and like the the way that that you know makes for great backgrounds but also like that that color and that that look is consistently shown in every single shot on the characters faces on their you know their their costumes like whatever like the the shark wall that <laughs> aquaman has like it's they all the sharks have a pink hue to them a little bit like and and the lighting like the the angle of the lighting is always like really consistent Right. Like you get the sense that like when the character is closer to this, the panel, like the light reflects that, you know, like you feel in the moments um, because of how strong the color is. Yep. Tamra does good shit. The stuff on the uh, like the the smudge or whatever it is on the uh, when the mace reacts. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm. psychedelic kind of look. Kirby-esque. And the page before that, the, the splash page, the, the way the water kind of divides up the panels, just really nice to look at. Oh, yeah. That was a great page. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stub page. Yeah. 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 That was like the first thing um, that like w- like floored me where I like stopped and was like, whoa, <laughs> that's. So I don't have any more to say about the main issue. Do you guys want to talk about the back issue or are we cool? Marco? Yeah, we could talk about it. We could talk about it. <laughs> talk sure. about it. Uh, so I came in from the future state stuff, and I was like, "Man, eh, this is okay. We, you know, whatever. Nothing, nothing too crazy." But this one actually interested me. Uh, Ramby has been—he's uh, been getting my attention pretty consistently, and and mm. the I typically don't like the Camelot and more, you know, Arthurian magic stuff, but. I don't mind it when it's in a normal context and you have, you know, Jason Bloods involved, uh, John as always, Zatanna, like they're, they're a good combination of characters that really bounce off each other well and in other Justice League books or Justice League Dark books. Um, and I, I'm interested. They, they left me on a cliffhanger um, 
with uh, killing that uh, that guardian for the mm-hmm. for the sword. Yo, Merlin's a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, dude, Merlin's Merlin's a badass. Like, it was it was really it was pretty interesting. I, you know what? I'll say it. Hot too. <laughs> yeah, he has that uh, uh, hipster grandpa vibe. Yeah, hipster grandpa. I've uh, I've not seen. I feel like I probably have, but I don't know by names or manacles art. Like I can't be like that's that. But this was good stuff. Well, he was, was it, He was on Justice League Dark, wasn't he? The new stuff. I I stopped after um after like a little bit. Oh, okay. Um. So this is this this piece is called Return to Caledonia, right? Oh shit, Kale. Uh. Why didn't you tell us you had a, a, a spot named after you, dude? And where's the invite? I think I'm named after this spot. I don't have it. Oh, okay. <laughs> is it because you're a hipster grandpa? I think Caledonia might be Wales because I think Scotland is Cumbria. Kale whales are a kind of animal. Did you say kale whale? <laughs> you sound this fucking ignorant sucks. right now. <laughs> this podcast sucks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Marco. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed this, um, but it highlights the the problem. Like, I I don't care. There's not enough pages um, yeah. here, and I couldn't I couldn't get into it. I didn't even want to read the back issue or the backstory. But then I I was like, let me not do that. Let me read it, and I got into it, and then it was over. So yep. I, I don't care. Like, it's if, just not a satisfying is- way to read a story. Like no, it's not. At a time. it's not. It's not. And and I, I really hope that they get the feedback that this is not how people want to read comics. But um, but let's let's shift gears. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about Radiant Black. Uh, so Radiant Black is by Kyle Higgins uh, with art by Marcelo Costa and um, Becky Carey. Becky Carey on letters. So. Um, again, this first issue was cool. We enjoyed it well enough, but it felt very sort of by the numbers and generic. And so our big question mark was, will it elevate? Did it elevate? I don't I don't know that this issue had the the moment, right, that, that I'm looking for. Um, but I think that this issue did a good job of kind of um, – like I talked about the last issue, right? Like was kind of like establishing uh, like ground rules for the world, right? Like this is our lead character. This is his friend who is going to be the supporting character, right? Um, we have our inciting incident. We learn a bit about the powers. This, we got a little bit more into, you know, the family dynamic that's at play here. We got a little bit more into like setting up um, like stakes and intrigue, right? Like the idea that the cops know who he is. And, you know, um, they're kind of blackmailing him loosely. Um, like, that establishes that he has something to, to lose, right? And that all of a sudden, you know, um, there could very well be consequences for what's going on. Uh, we get development of this other user of, of the black or whatever we're calling it. Um, and that they're, you know, off kind of doing the supervillain thing. Um, and he's now established himself as a counterpoint to that. So, like, this didn't give me the moment where I'm like, yeah, okay, like, this is it. This is what this book is. Um, That really, like, gets its hooks in me yet, 
but I feel like it's doing a good job of drip feeding information in a way where it doesn't feel info dumpy and it's being done through an actual narrative um, and beats that feel okay and pretty good. Um, and, and it feels like it is going somewhere, right? Like I don't feel like it's doing nothing um, and just stringing me along, even though it hasn't floored me yet. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. How'd you guys feel? You know what? There were some really good little interpersonal moments here when he's back home with his dad and he's like trying to make ends meet as like a, as a person in their mid twenties. I think 30s. that's a, a mid thirties. 30. I think that's a very, um, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that kind of thing. Obviously a lot of millennials have had numerous job woes and uh, uh, struggles in trying to get the, their careers off the ground and uh it made me identify more with the character at least. Like I understand his deal. Mm -hmm. So, and so I'm reading, uh, panel by panel, which is, a um, a sort of behind the scenes, um, interview magazine specifically oh, for comics. One? Yeah, of course I did. Can't wait for next month's on uh, ultra mega. Ooh, I'm excited for that. Anyway, they, uh, they did a, a big radiant black special where they talked to Kyle Higgins and they talked to, uh, Marcelo Costa and, and, and Becca Carey and um, a lot of Kyle Higgins selling pitch is that, you know, this is your transforming hero who is 30, who is our age. Yeah. And like, it's cool. And I get that. And like this character could not be more me and up my alley at all. But I think it's going a little slow for me. Mm. Um, and and I think the comparison that we made and has been made uh, since, since it was pitched to uh, Invincible is very, very apt because uh, Invincible's whole thing is they want you to get to know Mark as the, the yeah. protagonist right. so that you care about his stuff when, while he's invincible. Right. And it's slow and it drip feeds you. And that's good and that's fine. And it I truly believe it will make for a really good, compelling, long story. Uh, but yeah, this just like it didn't push me enough to be like, I gotta pick up every issue of this. I it, think I think the thing that's unfortunate for me as somebody who is such a big fan of Invincible, right, is when I picked it up, it was already several years into its run. So I was able yeah. to read the first couple issues in a sitting and be like, yeah, that was cool. I'll come back to this. And then the second time I sat down, I got to like the moment, right, yeah. that hooks most readers. Yeah. Um, and if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. And I, I believe this book has that coming. Mm -hmm. But it's like month to month, that could be six months. That could be yep. a year, you know? And like, oh. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I get, I get not um like not having that excitement for it right now you know because mm -hmm. it hasn't done that yet and you're taking a gamble on it then right like i'll absolutely pick up the trade like that's a no-brainer uh but yeah issue by issues gonna need a little more for for the buck that's kind of the problem i think with some uh image books in particular is that they clearly don't have the same type of um pressure to get their stuff in quick and so they take their time. And when you promote a book like this and you kind of 
you know, use some of the verbiage. It's the next invincible. This is, you know, going to be your next uh, obsession or whatever. Like, um, cool, but how many issues is it going to take for me to feel yeah. that? Um, and in Marvel, if they produced two issues that were like these, this book would very likely get canceled. And this won't. This won't get canceled at least until the trade the trade and change. Um, but there's a reason why Marvel and DC function that way. And it's because readers don't really want to sit through this like this. Um, I think the issue was fine. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't groundbreaking. It was fine. Uh, I did enjoy some of the interpersonal stuff, the stuff with him and his dad. And um, I liked seeing him have to do the driver job and yeah. hating it and then finding a way to integrate that into what he's you know, into um, trying to find out the identity of this thief and, you know, all that's cool, but I wish there was more. And I guess I don't, there's a difference between, I wish there was more, can't wait for issue three. And I wish there was more. It's frustrating me. Yeah. At this moment I'm at, I wish there was more. This is frustrating me. Yeah. I I will compliment Kyle for writing good, relatable dialogue we we read justice league where bendis prides himself on being able to kind of do this kind of conversational speak thing and i think he's lost that over the years i don't think he's able to do that as well as he did maybe 20 years ago you know kyle's the age that bendis was 20 years ago so maybe he's a little more connected to how people actually talk these days and um to his credit like it, it reads well in that sense i tell you the line that cut me to the core and it does every time I hear it is, oh, it couldn't hurt to ask though, right? Yep. Oh, mm. fuck you. Come on. <laughs> the, uh, I, I pretty much agree with everything you guys are laying out. I think the, the only other thing to add for me is the art. So it felt a little more stiff in some of these moments, especially in the interpersonal moments that I feel like we didn't, uh, I, we didn't have that critique or at least I didn't have that critique of it in the first issue because i think there was just like a much much more action sort of going on in, in the background and stuff um but this issue felt a little more just like static um and the action sequences were good the um, but the 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 pieces like the chunks that you sort of want to get out of it those interpersonal things the things that make like invincible like really con- compelling those parts were a little just like not as uh coherent from an art perspective i feel like i only agree with you about the conversation with his dad because like i i think um and maybe this is not what you're talking about because it's maybe not an interpersonal moment right but we called out the page where he's driving for driver or whatever right the uber app um and like that's like a smaller moment and i like the art in that a lot it's very driven by like you know uh like physical comedy and you know um things that are are really relying on the art and the character expression and how he's reacting to things. And it's, you know, um, more about what's unsaid than what's said. So I I think it's, I think it's, uh, you're right to point it out in that, that example, but I don't know that I would agree that it's a, it's a problem for the whole issue. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely just like moments of it where the first issue didn't have that. It was just kind of free flowing all the way through, Mm -hmm. but this one, I, I felt that that when the police officers come um yeah i think for me the biggest problem that i have with this and i'll probably have it for a long time unless this book has a seismic shift 
is that I prefer stories where characters make decisions that aren't that aren't obvious, like not a swerve for a swerve's sake, but you know, um, when a character does something that we haven't seen a hundred times, you know, uh, in 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 Uncanny X Force when they kill, um, uh, you know, the, the the young Apocalypse, and they make that big decision, and it and it changes everything. You know, to this point, everything that we've seen is extremely predictable. And I don't need to pay $4 for that. I can dream what the story is going to be because it hasn't deviated yet. And maybe it will, but I need it to for me to stay invested. I think that's a good point, Sean. When there's a story that you can read the synopsis of online as a recap, Versus a story that has so much heat that it makes you spend the money to, you know, put the butt in the seat. That's a big difference. I think though, I I think uh, there's there's been two comparisons made to like Marvel DC stuff that I think are are a little unfair, right? Because like I think with a similar thing in terms of like you know, um, Sean, you made the point of two issues of another book, right? If it had been this slow, that that would that would not fly. Um, and then similarly, um, you know, just now you said uh, that um, that the book needs to like swerve. It needs to to surprise you. And I think that like part of the problem with like wanting to do an independent superhero story, right? Like you do need to do some time laying groundwork that like I don't expect from Marvel or DC, right? Because there's some expectation that you have an idea of who the characters are. Or that you know these characters have a legacy that um, that even if you're not aware of, you might know through osmosis. You could read a synopsis of. You will be caught up, you know. Um, whereas with this, like it needs to do all that, right? It yeah. needs to establish these characters. It needs to give us an idea of like what is his relationship like with his parents. What is his relationship like with his old best friend from high school, right? Like all these things. Like we don't know any of these people. Um, and, and you know, uh, Phil made this point earlier, right? Like, you get a much better sense of who he is and what he's about in this issue. And I think for us, to, for, at least for me, right, um, if this is building somewhere and that pays off, then this is what you needed to do. Because um, I think if you swerve too early or if you, you know, don't have the ability to, like, contextualize the things that need contextualizing, that stuff isn't always going to hit as well. Um, like, that's what, you know, again, we keep bringing up Invincible because image has, comparison they've brought it up too right like they've made that comparison in in people's minds um what works so well about invincible is that the first several issues kind of lull you into this false sense of oh this is kind of like a modern silver age comic like it's kind of like silver age spidey but for the 2000s that's cool and then it swerves and you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, right? Or And that happens multiple times throughout the book where it gives you a status quo and then it flips that status quo. Or you're like, I know this character and then they do something that, you're, that you don't expect. And that matters because you know them and you've spent time with them for years in some cases, right? Um, in some cases, hundreds of issues where you're like, this is this character and I know this character. And then they surprise you. They subvert your expectation. The book goes in a, in a direction you couldn't have predicted. Um, and I think that groundwork is necessary for that to, to have the maximum payoff. And it's easier to do that when characters have legacy and you know who they are and they ha you have expectations for them. Yeah, but what was compelling about Spider-Man, right? 
Spider-Man lets his grand uh, lets his um uncle die because he's too focused on the fact that he wants to make money and all that kind of stuff that goes on. And that was groundbreaking because he's making new choices. And I want to see characters who make new choices. And, you know, you need the groundwork and stuff, but the groundwork can also be those new choices. He could be a different kind of character who does do things slightly differently. And we don't know whether he will or will not yet. But for me, they don't have the rope that they think they do. Yeah, I want to speak to that point. Uh, There's a thing that happens a lot in comics we've talked about on the show before uh, where, you know, it's like, writers are crafting a story with like a seven issues in mind um and so uh, all the things that we're kind of complaining about you know we might get in issue five issue six as he kind of tells his first story arc right like he's taking his time to really weave all this but with comic books you know in the old days and not to sound like an old not to sound like kale um you know you don't know how much real estate you really have to tell a story so like creative teams would try to tell a story kind of in an issue or, or in a couple issues. The issue here is you got to get people in the door. I don't know if they're doing a good job getting people in the door, you know? Yeah. Uh, this this well, might read well as a trade as Kale has indicated, but. And I think that that will be ultimately when we judge this series is how does it, wrap up its very first arc Mm -hmm. um you know but a lot of people may not be willing to give them that time i hope they do i think i will because i do want this to succeed i'm Mm -hmm. just feeling it right now that it's just taking a little bit of time to to do what we want but um that's gonna that's gonna close us out let us know if you are into us reviewing these books let us know if there are other books you would like us to review every week. We are bringing you guys reviews of various different books, not only from Marvel or DC, but as you can see from image and other pub- publishers as well. So if you've got a book you want us to check out, hit us up at the comics at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media while you're checking us out. Make sure that you guys are leaving us a follow or a like on the platform that you choose to listen to us on. Um, and of course, if you're on YouTube, hit the like, hit the subscribe, All that jazz is free to do, and it helps us out a ton more than it costs you because it costs you nothing. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Stay radiant. Ooh, not bad. I kind of like that.